Gospel of John, chapter 4, verse number 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. May God add blessing to his reading of the word. Amen. If you knew, you'd ask. That's what he says to her. If you knew what living water is, you would want it. If you don't know what it is, it sounds like an interesting thing. Now, what is it? Do we know? Do you really, really know what living water is? Now, there are some people who would say the living water is water that's flowing naturally in nature, like a river or a stream or a creek where people would be baptized. In some places, living water is a fountain. It's moving and flowing, that water flowing like that. That's what some people would call living water. I promise you, when Jesus says living water, he's not referring to that. He's referring to himself, that he is the living water. But there's more to it than that. And the question I ask myself is, how do I tell you what it's like when you have it? How do you describe that? It's amazing and incredible, but it's hard to describe because it's not something that words really adequately express. It changes you inside in ways you don't even know you need it. Because it's something that God has to do and you can't imagine it or create it with your own thinking. It's not something you go, well, yeah, I understand that, how it's supposed to be with God, because nobody understands what it's like to actually have that inside until it's there. It'd be like me saying, yeah, I know what it's like to have a baby growing inside of me, because I've seen it happen to other people. Well, you ladies would look at me and go, uh, no, not even close. So it is when the living water's inside of you, it's living, it's growing, it's bubbling. There's an old song when I was young called It's Bubbling. And it said, it's bubbling, it's bubbling, it's bubbling in my soul. There is singing and laughing since Jesus took control. Folks don't understand it, nor can I keep it quiet. But it's bubbling, 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 bubbling day and night. You ever heard that one? Never heard, wow, you're not the only folks who've never heard that. Almost everybody I've told about that song said, wow, I never heard that one. But it's true. It is a bubbling inside of us that really feels wonderful. But it's more than just a feeling. It's a reality and it's a change. In 1980, I didn't have that early in the year. I was a sophomore in high school. If you're looking at my age, you probably got it if you didn't know it. Um, and I was a shy, fearful person. I was afraid of everything, really. Anybody and everything. Dark, claustrophobic, uh, people behind me, people in front of me, people who said hello, people who said goodbye. All these things, it didn't matter. And I was still battling, and many years after that, battling depression. Soon to come in my life that year, in May, was a life-changing 
fear-creating event that would have devastated me had God not intervened before it happened. That could have destroyed me when it happened in May of that year. But God, in His infinite wisdom, brought me to the foot of the cross first. It was a life-changing, peacemaking event for me. It was interesting because when God had put the move of the Holy Spirit on me, I was wrestling with it. I was even questioning, is this God? What is this? Because I didn't know what it was. And I kept hearing God say things over and over again. I'm going, I, what, what is this? And He kept saying, don't worry about worldly things. Well, that's all I ever worried about. I didn't worry about anything but everything. Does that make sense? I had fear of... I mean... I had fear of going to sleep because I didn't know if I'd wake up. And I had fear of waking up because I didn't know if someone was going to dislike me that day. Was people, were people going to be my friend or not be my friend? Everything I said and everything I did and everything everybody else said and did, I was afraid of. Did I do it right? I couldn't even figure out how other people could live their life with confidence when I could even make it through a conversation without going, did I just do the right thing? It was horrible. And I, I feared eternity. I feared death. And uh, on, that, on a particular day in February of that year, I was at a youth annual conference in Lebanon, Illinois. And uh, we were at a, uh, uh, a worship service. We are getting ready to be dismissed for lunch. And he sang Malat's version of the Lord's Prayer. And he sang that last line, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. And then he goes real high, forever. And, and it froze me. I froze right there. I said, I don't want to be without God forever. But I don't know what to do about it. And I went to, went to the cafeteria. I couldn't eat. And I felt God say, you need to come up to the chapel on the front of the campus at the college there. And so I went. I went inside and the door was unlocked. I didn't know until much later that they never locked the doors to that chapel. And I went up the stairs to that chapel and I went in and it was quiet and dark. And I walked in and I saw this beautiful cross hanging, kind of like that one, on the back of the wall. And I said, I just want to touch the cross. And as I moved forward toward that cross, I heard God say, are you able to be crucified with me? And I, and I felt this pull toward the cross and I kept getting closer and every time I get a little closer, I'd hear that, are you able? Are you able? Getting very insistent. And as I got closer, it scared me. As everything had up to that point. And it scared me. And I said, and I yelled out in that chapel, no. And I ran out the chapel as fast as I could, down the hill, back to the cafeteria my friends were. And they said, ah, so you went to the chapel. What's it like? I said, pretty cool. I ain't going back. Somebody in there. <laughs> Scaring me. I think it's God. And I think God's in there. And I don't know if he, that He wants me around. He wants to kill me or something. He wants me to be crucified. I don't understand it. And they said, well, we're all going back. Will you show us where it's at? And I'm going, huh. And so we all went back. And they're all exploring the sanctuary, looking at the cross. And I'm going, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. So I went up into the balcony. I'm looking at the organ, pipe organ there. And I think, well... Okay, it's time to get to class. So I better get back down, but I'm going to look one more time in the sanctuary. And they're all gone. Nobody's there. 
And I walk into the sanctuary door and there was again, are you able to be crucified with me? And this time I wasn't turning around. And I gradually, slowly went to the cross. And when I got to it, I grabbed the hold of it and I said, no, Lord, make me able. And I gave my life to Christ and accepted whatever he wanted for me. And it felt like a thousand angels were singing, Lord, we are able to be crucified with thee. Make, make us and mold us like thee divine. And it was like angels singing and rejoicing in that moment. In that moment, as I left that service uh, area where the sanctuary was, I was different. I don't know what God did, but I no longer had fear of tomorrow. And I knew it. Still don't. I know on that day that I have no fear of what God and life would bring after that because I knew God would take care of me. And I trusted Him from that moment. But I was a different person. And you can't explain, like Psalm 51 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. That joy that I had that day has never left. It's always there. It's always inside. Trickling, floating around inside. Ready to be expressed. And so... God in His wisdom brought me to the foot of the cross first because two or two and a half months later, I was in a debilitating car wreck where I almost lost my life and ended up major neck surgery. Halo brace, all of that. And I don't believe I would have made it through without joy in Christ. That experience would have devastated me without God. I can't explain to you what it's like to go through something with God to someone who's never experienced God to know what it's like to go with Him. Because the world knows what it's like to go without God. But I don't ever want to experience that ever again. Because that's a dark place. When Jesus says to this woman, the living water, I think He was very sincere about what He said. As a matter of fact, I believe... He was referencing possibly Jeremiah chapter 17. Listen to these verses from 12 through 14. I really like what Jeremiah says. He says, A glorious throne set on high from the beginning in the place of, is the place of our sanctuary, the heavens. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you or forget you or deny you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, which means they will die. For they have forsaken you, Lord, the fountain of living water. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. That's Jeremiah referring to the living water that Jesus is talking about, a fountain welling up within us. Forsaking God puts us into rejection and shame, for He is the Lord, the fountain of life. And if we don't have the fountain of life, we don't have life. When He says, heal me and I shall be healed, I know what that means. When we request and seek that from the God, our God, we say, Lord, heal me to the uttermost, to the highest that you can heal me, to the extreme, to the depth of all my shame, till my guilt is gone, to the end of my pain, Till I am at peace and I experience your joy. Until God heals you that far to the point of joy in all circumstances. Not necessarily 
being happy, but knowing that God's in control at all times kind of joy. Until then, we ask God to keep healing, restoring, and establishing. Jesus is the water that the woman needs to drink. It's not just her. We all need that. It is the Holy Spirit within us that is given by Christ. He doesn't give us a fountain. It doesn't say in our verse today that I will give you a fountain. He says, if you know the gift and ask him, he would give you living water. He doesn't say a fountain. He says, I'm going to give you myself. He gives himself with all eternity and heaven. That all comes with Jesus. In Jeremiah chapter 2, he talks about the fountain being God a little differently. In verses 12 and 13, I love, love, love this passage. It just came to, kind of became my new favorite passage this week. It says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for without God we are utterly desolate. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. In other words, we stored up water and treasures that can do nothing to bring us peace or hope or joy. I know we could have all the wealth, fame, money in the world, but it won't bring us joy. It won't bring us peace. It won't bring us contentment. It'll just bring us a little bit of comfort. But it won't change our heart. It won't change the way we feel about ourselves or about God. Because all that stuff is external. None of that is inside. And if you understand that God is the fountain and using other sources leaves us desolate... The word desolate is the word like being utterly alone. Hello. We have a, a, a wasp trying to preach for me. <laughs> Do you want to face life alone? Utterly desolate? I would say no. But let me ask you this. Who do you live with? I've heard lots of different answers. I've been asking this question a lot of people this week. Some people say my mom's, my pops, my family, my granny. Who do you live? Who do you live with? How would you answer that? The most common answer is I live with my family, or I live with my spouse, or my parents. But do you know that's not true? You live with yourself. And you have to live with your choices and the way you feel about yourself and what's inside of you and how that's expressed. That's what you have to live with. <laughs> and other people that are around you have to live with that too. Because the way it comes out. But as you know, you can also always live with God if you move in. You have to move into that relationship. You can't just say, I believe in God without moving in. Because you've got to live with Him. And he wants to, as we learn in John chapter 14, make his home within us, establish himself there. In Matthew chapter 5, we find the Beatitudes. 
And every one of them, it depends on your translation, says blessed or happy are you at these points. And uh, those words blessed and happy do not really contain what that word means. There is no English equivalent for the Greek word there, which is makarios. Makarios are you. Makarios is not blessed. It's not happy. That's the closest we could get. And if you look in there, you'll see things like this. Makarios are blessed or happier the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who are mourning. Happy are those who are meek. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for the righteousness. Happy are the merciful. Happy are the pure in heart. Happy are the peacemakers. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. That doesn't sound like a, a recipe of happiness. Mourning, persecution, hungering and thirsting. It's because it's not about what that says. It's about the word translated happy or blessed. It's a state of being when you're in relationship with God that is constant. It's a knowing trust that God is in control, working things out, knows your needs, provides for you from His bounty, and it changes you from a fearful person like the day when I was at the chapel on that college campus into a person who knows I'm no longer afraid of tomorrow and I can't tell you why. Except for God changed me. That state of change from fearful to knowing that everything will be alright in the end, in eternity and tomorrow. That state of change, that new state I found myself in is called makarios. It's a confidence in God. It's a confidence in your right place with Him and you trust Him with your days and your nights and your future and all the things in your family. And it's just a, a calm contentment without saying everything's good, but saying, I know God will bring this to the right place. That's makarios. At the foot of the cross there, I found the fountain of life. More so, He called me to it and gave me it. I was drastically changed when my fear left. I could not even explain to my friends in the class I went to right after that, hey, I, I'm not afraid of tomorrow. And they go, good deal. Me either. Why, what's happening tomorrow? You know, things like they were joking, but they said, you're confident. You, you, you're talking different. You're talking as one who's not afraid. They could see that immediately. I still, like I said, don't have that fear anymore. The fountain brought me a peace, a contentment, and a knowing God is with me at all moments and times, no matter what happens. No matter what crazy stuff I was going to do in my life later, and I did, many things. And other people would say, well, I'm done with you, but God didn't do that because I knew He was with me and He wouldn't leave me or forsake me. I knew that. Because of that, in the Beatitudes, because of that confident, quiet trust, out of that place, you know that those, those who are in that place know that the thirst and hunger for righteousness will be satisfied. We know that. And we know that when we are poor in our spirits, we know the kingdom of heaven is already ours. 
We know this. Because it isn't us that did it. It's God bestowing it on us. We already know the kingdom of God is ours because it wasn't ours to begin with, but He gave it to us. And when He says, blessed are the meek, we already know we are and that we will inherit the earth. We already know this. It's just a constant confidence that when we mourn, we know we shall be comforted. We know it. Without question, that God's going to bring the right person, the right moment, at the right time, because we belong to Him and He cares for us. We know God will never let a need go unmet or a heart unstirred that has belonged to Him and does belong to Him. This is the state of being. And Jesus says, out of you and within you, this water, this confidence, this makarios, this living water that He promised to this woman, if you knew about it, you would ask for it. And you would not be content with your life without it. But you can't know about it until you experience it. You can only hear other people's stories that stir up in you the hope that it can be for you so as well. That you want that. And you want to know what it's like not to be afraid and to know that God is in control and that things are going to work out the way He said with confidence. Not just questioning, God, can you? God, I know you will and I trust you. Thank you for whatever you do with this. So where are you thirsting for answers that won't come? Where is peace missing in you or in your life? I'm going to say this very simply. There is no other answer but Jesus Christ for those longings inside. Remember, the woman at the well, in the story we learned, she had five husbands and was living with a man that was not. She was going to the wrong well. The things that wouldn't give her peace. She wanted a relationship. But what she really wanted was acceptance and love and she couldn't find it in a person. And here was the one, the Messiah, who soon enough says, I am He. And that woman never drew at empty wells again. What water are you waiting for? What are you thirsting for? All our wells, says the scripture, are filled in him. And he says to drink deeply from the well of salvation. He is that well, the Holy Spirit welling up inside of us. It is unexplainable. But... I can explain to you the cold, dark wind that wonders where hope can be found and answers can be found. Because a life like that is hard to live. Without peace, without joy, you know there's something missing, but you just can't put your finger on it. The answer is Jesus Christ living within you. So don't wait. Say, God, I want all you have for me. And I want all of you in me. And this, when you ask for it. Let me read that verse one more time. Out of John chapter 4. If you knew the gift of God. If you really knew it. That which is hungering and thirsting inside. If you knew it. You would ask. And. He would give you it, living water.
He will. Just promise. The same for the woman He will do for you. Because He hasn't changed in the way He responds to us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it's not always easy to acknowledge that a part of our life is just uncomfortable, it hurts, and we're desperate for hope and healing. And we can't find answers, and we keep looking and trying maybe this, maybe that, and things just pile up, and we never can find a way through the rubble and wreckage and craziness of life. And other things keep pressing on us. And you say, come to me and you'll find rest for your soul. I will be your rest. And so, Heavenly Father, we've known what it is like to not be resting, what it's like to be hungry and thirsty, to be alone and desolate, to be broken. And truly, Lord, we also know what it's like to be stuck in that rut and cycle. But you said if we knew that you would give us a different perspective and life by giving us yourself. If we knew that and we knew where to go to ask, you would give it. Right now, Heavenly Father, give us the courage to ask. I pray this in your Son's name. Amen.